0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of ESG Out Loud, ESG Clarity's podcast. I'm Global Deputy Editor Natasha Turner, and today I have two guests with me to talk about fast fashion and investment. The first is Therese Kiev, Steward Analyst at Saracen & Partners, and the second is Mohamed Aziz Islam, Professor of Sustainability Accounting and Transparency at Aberdeen University, who was the lead on a recent project looking into factories in Bangladesh which hit the headlines when it found that major high street fashion brands have paid factories in Bangladesh less than the cost of producing their clothes. So thank you both so much for joining me today. It's great to have you. To start off, Aziz, can you give us a bit more detail about this report and what's happened in the month or so since it was published?
1: Yeah. No. Uh, thank you, Natasha. Um, uh, what to, I would like to to highlight today, so I'd like to highlight uh, our key research finding um, based on a survey of 1,000 suppliers carried out in December 2021. Mm -hmm. So our sample represented uh, 25% of all suppliers in Bangladesh supplying garments to global north. So this is one of the largest surveys uh, our research team have ever conducted to explore the impacts of global fashion brands' unfair trading practices on their suppliers based in Global South. Mm-hmm. So our survey reveals that more than 50% of factories had been subject to at least one of the four unfair practices by fashion brands, including certain cancellation of orders, price reduction, refusal to pay for goods dispersed or in, in production, and delaying payment of invoices during COVID-19. Major uh, global brands um, as having the highest proportion of unfair practices. Uh, In December 2021, uh, 76% of factories were selling to brands at the same price as in March 2020, when lockdown in Bangladesh started. Although the cost of raw materials have increased, uh, our finding also show shows um, nearly one in five factories reported that they had been struggling to pay uh, the Bangladeshi legal minimum wage for garment workers. We also right. found that 76% of factories that they paid audit fees to third-party auditors either appointed by suppliers or buyers and 53 percent of factories appear to pay for a court prescribed compliance audit interestingly we also found that not a single supplier reported that they have been taken their brand or buyer uh, or customer to court or sought legal action for cancellation of orders or refusal to pay for goods uh dispersed or, or in production. Yeah, that's our key findings, so uh, so we can start uh, dis- uh, you know discussing uh, based on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and these are quite shocking, right? And as you say, it's it's quite quite a large study that you've done in the month or so since this was picked up, you know, by the media, and I guess since it was published, um, what response have you had?
1: Just after uh, you know publishing our report in January, I think early January, so, Uh, We have even before. I mean, uh, before we publish reports, we uh, sent our uh, key findings to each of the brands' names uh, in the report. So main brands around 27 brands, you know, were sent. um, uh, You know, we sent them uh, uh, to seek the feedback. So we sent email to them, you know, to seek the feedbacks. You know what. Uh, their, uh, you know, what their uh, feedback is mainly, you know, so. Um, and, well, we've, we found only eight brands got back to us, you know, so, uh, one brand, uh, you know, was saying that, you know, uh, they had a limited time to respond. So, you know, then uh, we extended time, you know, for them to respond yeah we got only four uh you know four brands who responded to us uh and rest of the brands uh didn't reply to us mm-hmm. uh this is actually during uh, just before uh, publishing our report and then those responses are already included in in our report if you see you know in in mm-hmm. in, in, in in few last pages mm-hmm. um, we also got response from uh, civil society organisations, campaign groups, and those who are campaigning for fair trade. Uh, yeah, they have been uh, giving us feedback on the report. Uh, uh, you know, many of them actually support uh, uh, support our findings. Uh, you know, to create some kind of change uh, in the UK policy. Uh, we are also uh, recommending uh, UK government to come up with a fashion watchdog uh, who who can monitor, uh, you know, whether uh, uh, brands are involved in unfair practices or not. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Good, well, hopefully there's some momentum there then. Um, Therese, let's bring you in here. So, I mean, just when Aziz was talking then about uh, sending those emails, I mean, it's perhaps the familiar experiences in kind of engagement work and things that you've had. Um, we also, I mean, we, we we saw from the investment perspective, we saw investment funds react, for example, to the Boohoo investigations a couple of years back in a number of ways, but, you know, some with divestment, for example. Um, are awareness levels in the investment industry on these kind of issues going up? Has there been any response to these particular findings? What's the general sentiment like on these issues in the investment industry?
2: In invest from the investment side, I haven't seen specific response to this particular report, but there have definitely been responses with, related to the Boohoo findings. Yeah. Definitely. I think that really raised um, the specific issues up the agenda. But yeah. unfortunately, since then we haven't seen change happening as fast as we would like. Mm-hmm. Which, and I would say transparency across the industry is still lacking. And it makes it really hard for investors to scrutinize and hold companies to account and really understand where the issues lie
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, with respect to boohoo for example it was concentrated on Leicester, for example and the poor working conditions and aziz's art report which is fantastic really showcases what happened during the pandemic with respect to the supply chains and i think it's the problem is really dual it's domestic and uh the lack of transparency with respect to the long supply chains and I think that's the real complication and where we'd want to see uh greater progress and Aziz is right with respect to this should be a fashion watchdog and up to now we're seeing uh retailers signing up to voluntary initiatives which which are good but they could only go so far and we'd really need some more regulatory focus and I think from the investor perspective as well I think with respect to fast fashion, there should also be a bit of consumer education as well, because it's really demand that's also partly to blame for the poor practices we're seeing.
0: Yeah. Do you have a similar experience to Aziz sometimes in engagement? When you, if you, you know, for example, email a company, and they don't get back to you? I mean, what's your experiences with um, sort of stewardship in this area?
2: For us at Saracen, uh, we have a very concentrated buy list. So that's really fortunate in a sense that we get to know the companies we invest in on behalf of our clients really well. So, but of course there are times when companies won't respond to us, but by and large, when we reach out to companies to engage, whether it's in the UK or the US or uh, continental Europe, they generally do get back to us and we have developed a. really good relationships over the years, because we've been focusing on ESG for many, many years. So, oh. the, the, so companies are quite used to us contacting them and really trying to dig below the surface of what is going on. Because I think some of the problems our investment industry is facing <laughs> is a reliance on external ESG providers without doing uh, the heavy lifting and really doing uh, their own research, really, and speaking to the companies to find out the reality of the situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Aziz, do you have a point on that as well?
1: I would like to reflect on what Teresa mentioned about uh, transparency. I think it's important. Mm. Um, I mean, what i what I found in in the global supply chain uh, uh, is uh, traceability or trackability, you know, is the cornerstone of of transparency. What uh, civil society organizations you know often, um concern about uh, uh, how to track or trace who and how products for global market are produced uh, in their factories located located in global south um so th- this is uh, this is important because you know the, the way uh, fashion retailers are bringing uh, different kind of uh, transparency mechanism uh, you know as a part of risk risk management tool perhaps for management and perhaps for investors. Um, I'm I'm skeptical about you know uh, the way uh, transparency mechanism uh, you know, have been used so far. You, you might know that you know the companies are using compliance audits as a part of um, of um, you know uh, transparency mechanism. Uh, and I have investigated you know this mechanism o- over a long period of time. Um, and, and uh, I found you know, this is just uh, uh, part of green- greenwashing, I would say, you know And that's why you know uh, when you talk about ESG, you know, the the social, I mean, the uh, part of ESG uh, is still, you know, very, very underdeveloped. I mean, uh, you will find the disclosure and, and the re-elections, there are differences between, there's a gap between what companies are disclosing and what is really happening on the ground.
0: Right. Are you finding that as well, Teresa? Are there kind of um, mechanisms that you'd like to see introduced to make the kind of investment job easier and more robust when you're looking into these kinds of issues?
2: Yeah, I think data transparency is is key. Mm. And also we want to see the responsible companies uh, conduct audits and really have external audits, I would say. So I think that is really, really important to have unannounced, independent audits and also release the findings of the audits. Yeah companies to hide behind. Okay, you did an audit, but they don't tell us (laughs) what what has changed since then, and how are they translating this to other um, regions that may be difficult as well. So those are some of the things we want to look at. And we're seeing some progress on the environmental side with companies partnering with, say, the Global Organic Textile Standard or Better Cotton, stuff like that. But we're seeing much less progress on the social side, as, as he's mentioned. So the working conditions. And we support, of course, the International Accord, and we press companies to sign up to that where relevant, but we also want companies to abide by their commitments. It's not enough just to sign up, it really have to demonstrate that practices have changed, and they are engaging with their supply chain to understand what's happening on the ground, and also not to put too much pressure so working conditions continue to suffer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think Therese is right in relation to the independence of compliance audit. So it's, it's, if, if you look at the practice, you know, the, the, this kind of audit mainly done by consultants. And I'm very, very sceptical of, uh, of the use of you know, compliance audit or social audits or, or some people say factory audit uh, to bring meaningful change uh, to the lives of the workers, especially when you know, audits are done internally, like workers are scared you know, they're weak actors, you know, uh, mainly, you know, if you look at uh, if if you want to do a factory audit, then you need to talk to workers, because if you do not talk to workers, you do, you would not be able to understand, you know, exploitation, or whether there is an exploitation. whether, you know, there is a forced labor, you know, uh, this kind of issues, you know, the, the auditors actually need to talk uh, to workers and, you know, whether uh, someone from outside factories, or whether you know, uh, from whether from inside as a, as an auditor. So workers are just um, are not empowered to to, to talk to auditors. Uh, I mean, I want I want to give an example. Like you know, right after Rana Plaza collapse, uh, I looked at you know the accountability systems of the factories on site. And if you look if you look at the Rana Plaza incident, you know companies including Walmart, sourcing uh, from those factories had a social audit mechanism in place, compliance audit mechanism in place, but it did not protect the workers. You know, they're killed because the owner of the factory forced them to stay and work. You know, just, you know, the the Rana Plaza, just before collapse of Rana Plaza in, in the morning, very early in the morning, the building, showed uh, cracks, and then workers were hesitant, were hesitant to, to enter into the building. But the owners of of the building, you know, managers were, uh, were forcing workers to enter into the building. So this kind of incidents could be avoided, you know, if workers uh, uh, could not be forced to enter into the building. Uh, this could be, an, this is an accident, we know that. But, you know, uh, the main reason for killing workers is forced labor and then forced labor is difficult to track forced labor is difficult to trace and 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 the that the transparency mechanism should focus on on forced labor but unfortunately we do not see much change you know uh, in terms of uh, transparency mechanism to understand uh, forced labor and how could you stop forced labor
0: why is that do you think why is this the area that we've been so slow on or so hesitant to make change
1: uh, Perhaps it is it is one of the most difficult uh, part of the audit to okay. to to track uh, forced labor or, or you know payment without uh, uh, you know uh, uh, I mean work without payment. So you know you force to force people to work for you and then you want not pay. So it's very difficult to, you know, pen and pencil, pen and paper. You know, uh, they could show uh, one figure, and then in reality, you know, they are paying workers a different figure, different. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, uh, how to what extent auditors stay away in the factory, you know, to monitor these kind of things? You know, uh, auditor just just go into the factory. Maybe sometimes surprise surprise visit may not be surprise visit sometimes but rest of the time how do you continuously monitor workers you know mm-hmm. uh, and forced labor is a continuous and dynamic process there are different kinds of forced labor you know if people uh, manage, mid level managers to top level managers and use verbal you know abuse you know uh, uh, to to you know um, uh, to to force workers to 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 work more and there are some threats as well huh. Uh, because of you know abundance of workers, A- and supplies of workers are abundant sometimes, you know, and then uh, they could easily ref- replace workers if they want. Uh, so this kind of situations actually is difficult, and then um, perhaps you know what Teresa mentioned, perhaps external auditors, perhaps workers driven driven audit, perhaps perhaps community driven audit uh, could be. And it could be a helpful instrument to monitor uh, uh, the practices. But you know, th- this kind of uh, mechanism, allowing workers uh, to audit, allowing civil society organizations to audit, mm-hmm. um, uh, may not be you know the retailers and suppliers would not accept it somehow, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the main problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree as well. And I think part of it is fair repercussions for the workers as well. And they have no choices. So therefore, they have low expectations about the impact of raising their concerns or what would happen if they say anything up that could um result in damage to um their prospects and so on. So I think it, it also leads to sort of isolation of the workers as well. And they're working very long hours, I think, in Bangladesh. Yeah. um. Typically, typically is up to twelve hours a day, as is something something like that. So it's really outrageous what's happening, and I think it really needs a multi-stakeholder approach. I would say, and because up yeah. to now, what's been in place isn't working fast enough to improve the situation. So, external audits, as I mentioned, more regulatory focus, yeah. or mm-hmm. more cohesive regulatory focus, I would say
1: i think uh, what teresa mentioned i mean is quite interesting you know evolution i would say you know just after Rana plaza you will find that in global north uh, you know there are evolving form of regulations mainly disclosure based regulation if you look at uk modern slavery act 2015 mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty you know pretty based on um on uh, disclosure, so you need to to provide a modern slavery statements if your revenue threshold is thirty six million per year, uh, thirty six million pound per year. So, uh, and then you need to produce a modern slavery statement. Uh, you know, highlighting that uh, um, that uh, what kind of actions you have taken um, uh, to eliminate modern slavery in the global supply chain so i mean uh, there are some spe- specific pro- provision for that but um, this is this is they are, they are also calling the regulatory framework also uh, uh, suggesting uh, uh, that this is a kind of uh, transparency regulation so if you disclose uh, what actions you have taken so it creates some kind of transparency uh, again so many um, uh, retailers you will find that you know the, they don't disclose because the regulations does not enforce to disclose there is no right. penalty uh, you know for uh, not disclosing any uh, particular issue uh, and uh, there is some emphasis in other regulation other countries maybe european and australian models every act to uh, to encourage external auditor or a- auditor you know so uh, or, or, or factory auditor uh, but I, I would say you know uh, uh, this kind of suggestion to to appoint auditors uh, you know based on uk regulation or, or australian regulation um, um, i would say this is a kind of uh you know shifting the blame uh, to suppliers only uh, uh, you know the, uh, auditing uh, factories uh, or suppliers conduct suppliers behaviors only uh, not auditing uh, you know behavior of retailers themselves um uh, it is a kind of you know mechanism which uh, is not helping uh, our recent finding as you see that actually uh, retailers are responsible uh, you know, not paying enough um, and cancellation of orders so the social audits or compliance audits actually, are not helping to stop unfair practices
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. We're shifting the blame onto the sort of lower down the mm-hmm. supply chain. Um, on your point of kind of the, the uh, some of those disclosure mechanisms that are not perhaps mandatory and that being an issue. I mean, we did see the German supply chain law come in at the start of this year. Is there a shift or certainly a focus more on sort of supply chain due diligence, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the investment industry, uh, what's the sort? Of, what, what's your prediction for the outlook um, in this yeah. area?
2: Definitely, I think it's improving both by the German due diligence law, as you mentioned, that's come into place, and the work the EU is doing to uh, focus on decent work and supply chains as well. But there's also the issue about Xinjiang and the treatment of, well, state-sponsored forced labour, which is an extremely oh. complicated issue as well. And with respect to that specific issue, we're seeing faster progress under yeah. US, which assumes that any, um let's see, any product uh, derived from Zang has forced labor in it. So the US is leading the way on that specific point, but I think the EU is starting to become at the forefront for looking into supply chains and really focusing companies to demonstrate what they're doing to ensure there's decent work within the supply chains. Mm-hmm.
0: And what about to Aziz's point about kind of, um, I mean, and you know, obviously as a sort of responsible investor, I mean, this is not likely to fall into your kind of engagements. But if you, or you know, if an investor kind of went to a retailer uh, and they could sort of provide some answers, but uh, had sort of done sort of shifted the the expectations for those onto the supply chains itself, and then this, as he says, this isn't really helping. What am I trying to ask? I mean, I'm just trying to get a sense of kind of where the investment industry is, is at with these kind of um, engagement processes with these kinds of retailers.
2: I think it would vary definitely across the industry, Mm. but from our perspective, we haven't been in that situation exactly. Yeah. Uh, We have a very rigorous screening process and we engage with companies from the beginning to, to really understand what they're doing and gain some comfort about their practices. But I would say they definitely can't um, shift all the blame onto the suppliers. We would want to see them be brave and step up and really share some of the costs. I think what has been happening, of course, with respect to working conditions and the suppliers, they don't have an incentive to offer decent work because of the uncertainty about the financial results Mm. with respect to truly implementing an ethical business model, I would say. So that's what we're fighting against. And that's why it's really challenging to invest in the fashion sector at all, I would say. So you really have to do strong due diligence to figure out which of the companies are actually practicing what they preach and really want an ethical system to operate. Right.
0: And uh, I know your firm has been uh, talking about kind of external audits for a while. We have um, Natasha on the on our committee, and um, so she often writes about this. Is that something that needs to be uh, addressed more in the investment industry? I mean, we've talked we've talked about it kind of quite a bit today as perhaps one of the main um, things that could ch- you know change the dial on this issue.
2: Definitely, it needs to be talked uh, a lot more. And also there's the concept of the employer pays principle, which is specific to migrant workers as well. As you know, in the UK, there's been a big issue in the agri sector with respect to that as well. So it's this sort of uh, mindset we want companies to embrace and be responsible for the true costs of uh, producing their goods and so on. So we are part of uh, an investor collaboration called Find It, Fix It, Prevent It. Which focuses on forced labor as well you may be already familiar with that initiative as well so we are pressing companies to really uh investigate and review their supply chains for any instances of forced labor and not just to stop their identifying but really do something about it and report publicly about it so i think that's the missing link to reporting publicly about it and really talking about mitigation and remediation or How
1: are you going to prevent it from happening again, really? Uh, I have a view on, you know, the investors, even, you know, my research is, uh, you know, looking at uh, non-market forces. Uh, So, uh, uh, I mean, if you look at uh, the way uh, regulators have come up with with particular regulation, like disclosure regulation or maybe, you know, the, the re- retailers also using uh, uh, social audits or factory audits uh, the the, the entire mechanisms are in place to protect uh, investors interest if you want oh, so i i can see that you know the total setup for protecting investors rather than protecting the real victims of the workers so if you look at in you know, a uk modern slavery act in a disclosure just just Re- retailers need to disclose uh, and and his their risk is minimized but what kind of disclosure they're making you know and then uh, uh, whether there is any real change in their in, in their factories uh, whether they minimize risk of being victims so the question is the risk of being victims uh, victims of modern slavery um uh, it is it is not yet addressed i mean this this is reflected in the you know risk minimization provisions and you know, within the act uk modern slavery act if you look at you know which focuses on retailers risk management and not the workers uh, risk of becoming yeah. the victim of slavery yeah, know, we've, so-
0: we've had a conversation on this podcast before actually about the kind of um the disclosure being Enough, I suppose, or the the end point yeah. of often of that act. Um, but you know, I think in this in this space, in the kind of sustainable investment space, mm-hmm. the conversation is about taking that further. So it will be about what you disclose, not just disclosure itself,
1: right? To what extent do investors know uh, know the supply chain of a particular company uh, and and how their products are produced. Uh, to what extent they know and and is is there enough awareness among you know consumers or investors or or you know shareholders those who are not institutional shareholders about the exploitation of uh, of workers you know in 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 bangladesh or vietnam or or any other countries so uh, my answer to this question actually you know it is it is unfair uh on consumers or uh, investors to expect them to be able to make difficult decisions and complex decisions, you know, when uh, in- investing money or, or or purchasing clothing. So why should we, you know, move our blames to, you know, burden uh, to uh, to consumers to make ethical decision making? Uh, why? Why regulators do not take any responsibility you know, to make a, a, a context of ethical environment, uh, so, so that you know we can uh, a consumers freely can go to uh, supermarket and buy clothes. Uh, you know which is which already they know that this is uh, produced in 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 human rights. You know following human rights.
2: Yeah, there's certainly scope. Uh, for a type of certification I would say so as you mentioned as these consumers could feel confident that what they're buying is free from forced labor so but but as you mentioned as well the issue is so complicated and hidden and forced labor is hidden even though modern slavery is abolished and illegal in every society it still exists and we still need to work really hard to combat it and it's it's just going to take a lot lot of effort, but we, we shouldn't be disheartened that it's not going to change because we are starting to see some changes, but it's not happening fast enough at all.
0: And I guess all this awareness raising and, like you say, a multi-stakeholder approach is, is only going to be encouraging, right? Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for you both for joining me today. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. Um, and, uh, and yeah, thanks so much for your time on soundcloud or itunes by searching for esg out loud